Welcome to Social Workers Break Room. This is Imelda. And I'm Jennifer. And today we bring you the episodes for Social Work Students 2021 edition. We, we run out of jokes this time. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm not funny anymore. <laughs> we did all the talking off the record, so yes. we don't have anything left. Nope. So. You wanted local gossip? Fresh out. <laughs> Stay with us. And we're live. We're rolling? Yes. Cool. All right. So today we're going to be sharing five tips to help you get the most out of this school. I did not finish that (laughs) sentence. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, keep going. (laughs) (sighs) There's the joke. I didn't need to write it. It wrote itself. Get the five things to get to help you get the most out of this school. Which school? Any school. Any every school. school. Pick a school. Get the five, <laughs> five things that you can get out of it. Not accredited? No problem. No problem. Want a license? Bad news. Elementary school? It does not apply, but Mm-mm. sure. Clown okay. college? Cool. <laughs> That's it. You have to become, there has to be a social work and MSW program at a clown college. At a clown college? Yeah. What's a clown college? Where people go to school to become professional clowns. Oh, is a thing? Yeah. People do that? Yeah. Do you like think they clown like, academy? Yeah, full on. Like there's full clown academies. Huh. Do we have one here? Yeah. Where? Wait, I this can't. is all new information <laughs> to me. <laughs> This this is important. All right. So where like, can you go to clown college? Is it considered like liberal arts? Uh, so it's not. Entertainment? No, they're like uh, private universities. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Like, so there's, it looks like there's some good ones in uh, Los Angeles. Hmm. Um, oh my God. There's enough. Oh yeah. There's the Circus Academy of Tucson. Okay. And there's the uh, North Scottsdale Circus School of Arizona. And there's uh, a Barnum and Bailey Clown College. Interesting. So, yeah, like you know, they feature courses like uh, Pie Throwing 101. Yeah. Joy Buzzer 240. Water Balloons 101. Exactly. Whoopee Cushion yeah. 498. Yeah. <laughs> 498. Because <laughs> the 490 is the intro one, and 498 yeah, exactly. is the advanced one. Well, that's yeah. what, and you're gonna do like your capstone on Whoopee yeah. Cushions. Uh-huh. Really immersive uh-huh. experience. <laughs> So which school? Clown college. Five things to get the most out of your school. (laughs) Well, I did not know this existed. Next time I see a clown, I'm going to ask him, like, where did you go to college? Did you go to clown academy? Yeah, what was your thesis on? Yeah, like, what was your, what was your specialty? Let me, tell me. Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, like, you, you should start asking people. That's true. Like, when you bring in professional clowns, like. Yeah. Did you go to school? You got to vet them, Imelda. Are you just hiring random clowns with no, no credentials? No, no, no. I, I, I hope we don't. <laughs> now I'm concerned. Now I'm going to have to do some asking around and like, what, what's our vetting system for clowns? Yeah, yeah I can't. I can't mean, hire I've, never, anybody. I've never been a fan of clowns. So I, no. you know, mm. I think the last time I had a clown in my my birthday party, I was probably like five or so and I hit under the table the entire time because <laughs> I was so afraid of them. And my mom was like, come on, come on. The clown is like, I was supposed to blow the candles with the clown. I was like, no. Like, so that, that was the last time. Well, maybe if you went with an accredited clown, you'd feel better. Maybe. May, I'm sure that clown was not accredited. He didn't go to clown academy. That's probably why he was not friendly. He was That's scary. It. 
Well, we have a friend who's a, she's technically a clown, but she goes by balloon artist because she doesn't always do the whole mm. clown getup, but like mm-hmm. she definitely does balloons and does them for all ages. Yeah. So she did not go to clown college. Mm. Did she went to balloon college? <laughs> balloon academy she might have i don't know really? she's really good at it she can make like full halloween costumes like how did she like, learn that like someone must have taught her maybe, how to do it. maybe youtube yeah i like, mean this is almost pre-youtube she's probably been doing this stuff since like 2006 wow yeah and she's good oh geez we're <laughs> deep into this okay we are but again <laughs> we don't have to come up with a joke <laughs> They come up with themselves. They come up with themselves. All right, let's do this. So today we're going to be sharing five tips to help you get the most out of the school year and out of your social work education, starting with number one, field education. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. As you know by now, in order to successfully complete your BSW and MSW programs, you need to complete a certain number of hours in an internship or a field placement, however you want to call it. Uh, for purposes of this episode, we will focus on the MSW field experience, but this can easily be applied to BSW students as well as the requirements for internships are similar to BSW and MSW. So I currently teach a field experience uh, course at ASU, and I would like to dive in a little more on some of the questions that some of the some some of my students have been asking me this semester. Um, and I feel like the, there's a like common questions that I get after you know each semester. So this might help you um, as you navigate your MSW internship process. Um, I'm thinking that according to the you know CSWE accreditation, most schools who are accredited will probably follow similar mm-hmm. uh, patterns of you know what they require for their internships. Um, So a few reminders. In order to graduate, you need to complete a field placement. There is no way around it, and any student looking to get in their MSW should have this in mind, that not only your commitment should be to the program and the class courses, but also to the field placement. So if you are a uh, potential student who wants to go into, your, you know, get your BSW or your MSW, keep in mind that in addition to your classes, you will have to make time to complete your internship in the school year. So typically a student must complete 480 hours a year, which is two internships per MSW program. So if you are in the two year track, your first year will be at one placement and your second year will be at a different one. Um, And then you will complete about 240 hours per year, uh, which is two semesters. And you will do about 16 hours per week. I know this sounds a lot, but trust me, it's doable if you plan it right and plan it ahead of time. So planning ahead of time and working with, if you're working, working with your employer, letting them know like, hey, I'm going into my MSW. I have to do an internship. Um, you know, just planning ahead uh, will be on to your advantage um, as you're navigating uh, working and going to school and doing your internship. 
So keep in mind that internships are not supposed to be your ideal job. Um, and as you're most likely not going to end up in an internship that meets all your requirements. Um, I get emails from students often saying, hey, I'm looking for an internship at this agency that provides this specific type of service with this specific type of population um, and looking for someone that ha or an agency that has an MSW that can supervise me. Well, that's very, very narrow. And the chances of you finding a placement that meets all your requirements and checks every box in your list, it's they're not that great uh, because agencies work with a variety of clients and ages and not all agencies have a contract with a university either. So keep this in mind that not necessarily uh, your internship is not going to be your ideal job or your entryway to to your your job, you know, after you graduate from your MSW. But this is um, an internship is is a mean to get your feet wet in the field and have you shadow a social worker and have hands-on experience on case management, assessment, program evaluation, inting, discharge, conflict resolution, goal setting, treatment planning, etc. And all these skills will be very valuable um, and transferable to many other settings. So the things that you learn at your internship could be easily, you, you will most likely utilize them at your ideal job once you get in or your future job after graduation. So see your internship as your field training for your future career as a social worker and not as a way to get into your dream job. Sometimes if you're lucky and if you find your perfect internship and they offer you uh, a position after graduation for you to stay at a full time, well, that's that's amazing and great for you. But the chances of that happening are not that great. That happens, you know, in a case by case basis. So again, don't um, go into your internship thinking that you will be staying there for the long term. If you're doing a work variance, which is you being able to do your internship at the place where you currently work. So if you work at an agency that provides social services, the agency most likely will meet the qualifications um, to be an internship site with your university. And keep in mind that the agency must follow some requirements. They have to provide educational opportunities that align with the goals of your program. In this case, your social work program. Um, you must be placed at a different program than the one you currently work at. So uh, for some students, they think like, oh, I'm just going to do my internship at my work and I'll just do the hours as the same, same as, you know, my, my current um, work schedule. Well, no, you, you have to do your 16 hours after you complete your 40 hours or however many hours you work as your regular shift. Um, and it has to be at a different program than the one that you're working at. So you cannot use the same client or caseload that you have, let's say that you work as a case manager at an agency. You cannot use the same clientele and caseload and the same things that you do to count toward your internship. It has to be something different. Yeah. So like, for example, I did a work variance uh, during my MSW program and, you know, the, it could be either a different program or even just a different job title in yeah. the same program. So for example, with my BSW, I was a hospital discharge planner and helped, you know, people on the second floor of the hospital go home safely. And then for my MSW program, I was doing a clinical internship. So I was interning as an inpatient therapist. So it was, you know, same population, but totally different job 
job title, totally different responsibilities, uh, different hours. You know, I had to start working Saturdays. I had to stay a lot later. And then as Imelda mentioned, I had to have a different supervisor. Mm -hmm. So it's possible. But for some people, you know, the idea of spending now 56 hours a week at your job and getting, you know, similar experience that you might be able to get shadowing, it can be great for some folks. It is an option at a lot of universities, but some people you might get a ton out of a different internship. Right. Yeah. And something to keep in mind is that once you submit your internship um, request form to the university, they will let you know like if this is an appropriate placement for you um, because you have to have a different supervisor. So the person who supervises you on a weekly basis at your job where you get paid cannot be the same person that supervises your internship. It has to be someone different. And um, speaking of supervisors, the in and this goes for any any placement, not in, not even just work variants, any internship placement, your supervisor has to be a person with an MSW and has to be employed at the current agency, preferably at the same position for at least six months and have at least two years post MSW experience in the field. So if you think that your work meets all these requirements, then go ahead and like Jennifer said, if you think that you can you will you will be able to do like 56 hours at the same place every week and you love being there and you love working there then by all means go for it but for some people it's good to have that that break that distinction between their work and their internship because they get to see other people they get to see um, how an an agency works in a different way Um, so your experience might be very different from your work to your internship. So that's something to keep in mind. And the last thing on I want to talk about on field placement or field experience is that um, once you're in your placement, you need to be your own advocate and make sure that your agency where you're placed is truly offering you an educational experience. I once was an, in an internship where I was, um, it was a um, domestic violence shelter mm. and I was doing because I was working full time on my internship was some evenings and weekends. So because of my hours, I was asked very often to cover the front desk because the the staff that was the paid staff at mm. the shelter, they were gone after five. And that's the time when I will come in at five. So they were just like, hey, can you cover the front desk for an hour? And then it turned like two hours. And then mm-hmm. some day, some weeks I was like doing my 16 hours just covering the front desk. And while this was a good experience at the beginning because I was able to, you know, being able to answer those phone calls and learn more about how the agency worked and what services were provided and, and whatnot, um, it became a just administrating job uh, where I was not learning anything new. So I had to contact my not only my field supervisor but also my uh, field instructor through the my liaison through the university and we had a meeting and said like hey uh, my learning contract has all these different things that I need to be working on right now and I need to be meeting with clients and I need to be shadowing intakes and assessments and I'm not doing any of that because I'm being asked to be at the front desk and covering at all times Um, so you're after all you're you're paying for this course and you're paying for this class and you want to make sure that you're getting the most out of it and the best learning experience you deserve. 
And I think, you know, probably right up there with internships, I think probably the thing I get the most questions about besides that or the most anxiety there is around is around capstone. Mm -hmm. I think capstone scares everyone. Um, And I think for a little bit of good reason, right? So your capstone or your portfolio should really be one of the most challenging and impactful assignments or projects you ever complete. You know, we're going to be talking uh, on this episode at least a little more specifically about capstone as Melda and I were direct practice students. But if your university has an advanced generalist track or a more macro track, it may use different words or you may have a different project altogether. So for a capstone, it's usually about a client that you've been seeing throughout your internship or will have some time to work with or get to know in depth because it's a long paper. It's got a ton of detail. So the first tip for your capstone is going to be to choose that client really wisely. So some of the best capstone clients are going to be ones where there are ethical dilemmas, complicated diagnosis, core morbid uh, medical and mental health issues, or where you've been able to intervene concretely, right? Not like, oh, well, I shadowed this mm-hmm. or, you know, oh, I, I did an intake assessment, right? What did you do to make that person's life better? And can you really identify and name that? Because you're going to need to for your capstone. So, for example, those of you in medical settings, uh, pretty much all hospitals are going to have an ethics committee to them um, or cases where there have been two physician decisions. So if there's uh, an emergency and we're not able to get consent from either the person or the family next of kin, two doctors sometimes have to make a really challenging decision. You know, do we amputate? Do we proceed with surgery? Do we intubate? Right. So those are those challenging ethical dilemmas that are going to have lifelong impacts on folks. So those will have you know, complicated cases will require a lot of unique analysis and give you some really interesting stuff to research and write about. If you're in a psych hospital or outpatient setting, you know, was there a unique diagnosis or a unique comorbidity that made the case complicated or different than most cases on your caseload or that you see day to day, right? So in a psych hospital, you might see major depressive disorder kind of over and over again. So is there something, you know, maybe more unique that's come up that you want to learn a little bit more about, again, that you're not learning in your day to day internship and want to dive into? So the second beyond choosing the right client is going to be choosing the right intervention. So many universities teach cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, and that's great. I like CBT, but please don't choose CBT as your intervention because it's all you know, and definitely don't do a worksheet for your capstone intervention and role play. Really challenge yourself. You know, this is such a unique time in your life where someone is asking you to spend hours researching an intervention and its effectiveness and really, you know, to give yourself that challenge of learning something new, especially if you already took that CBT course, right? You don't need to spend another whole semester researching Mm -hmm. CBT when you already took the class on it. You know, then at least you leave school with a good understanding of two modalities, which as a hiring manager, I can tell you it's a lot more marketable than someone just knowing CBT. Or I'll often have people that I interview say, well, well, I learned, you know, some about this or that intervention in school. And my question, the way I specifically phrase it in interviews is what would you feel comfortable independently executing in a session? Because when you go work for an agency, If you're going to do CBT, you're going to be doing CBT by yourself. Mm -hmm. Same thing with DBT, same thing with PST. Any intervention you're going to be doing, no longer is someone going to be in the room with you or teaching you this intervention. So if you've already been taught one, teach yourself another throughout the course of your capstone in this semester. So... 
Uh, you really want to lean into your field instructor and your capstone professor here to understand what's going to be appropriate. You know, they're real social workers in the field. They're going to know what's going to be reasonable for your client and setting. So for example, like you're not going to do full EMDR or prolonged exposure therapy with your client, but your internship may have specific modalities in use. For example, at my job, we train everyone in problem solving treatment and CBT for insomnia, which are going to be more special or unique interventions to the agency. But they could be great fits for your capstone. They're going to be specific. They're going to be relevant. The social workers around you are going to be using them. I've seen students at the Veterans Administration or the VA. They often use cognitive processing therapy. So some of those social work students get to dive into that and see what it looks like. I've seen crisis students do the Robert Seven stages. You know, and I, for example, I was in a psych hospital setting and did not want to learn any more about CBT. <laughs> My brain was totally full of it at that point. Uh, so I did motivational interviewing around suicidality. I knew that, you know, everyone has a chance at being suicidal. And I wanted some way to specifically interview and feel confident around that, right? For a lot of social workers, that's what makes us the most nervous. And I wanted to go into the field and feel confident and know that I had the tools and tools kits. So, you know, and really to this day, I would not know as much about motivational interviewing if I hadn't done a 60-page capstone with it as my intervention. So this is really my plug with choosing something that you're passionate about or at least curious about. You know, kind of that being comfortable may feel good at the moment when you're trying to survive grad school and working full time, but it doesn't benefit you in the mm -hmm. long run. So finally, speaking of 60 pages, uh, let's talk about the paper. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the most successful writers, there's a reason they have like a word goal or a page goal every day. You know, it's not the time to reinvent the wheel and be like, oh, I'm going to be much better at writing this large paper if I just wait and then do it all at once. It don't wait. It Please never don't. works out. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I've never had a student be like, I wrote my capstone the night before and it's like, I'm so proud. No. <laughs> it's always like, I want more time. I'm so embarrassed. You know, I know I'm not going to get a good grade. Um, so how I broke mine down is, you know, our university had particular sections that mm -hmm. were assigned to each requirement for the capstone. So I took them all out and every Saturday from nine to noon, because I didn't work until four o'clock on Saturdays, I made myself write for three hours every Saturday. And my capstone paper was done way before it needed to be. Did it totally suck? Yeah. Every Saturday morning, I was like, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this again. Um, I hated myself. I hated the paper. I hated my grad school program at the time. Um, but looking back, I'm still really proud of that paper. I show people it. I tell them about it. I'm a better social worker for it. And it's a completely worthwhile endeavor. So long story short, you can do it, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Picking an interesting client and intervention will make it a lot easier. Definitely. Um, just going along with what Jennifer was saying, um, when I was doing my capstone, I was just, you know, listening to you and, and, and thinking about my capstone experience. Um, and at that time, I was, I think I did it in one of my, one of my clients um, through my internship. And... Um, the easy way was to do case management, mm -hmm. like that, the, the, for the intervention to be case, because I was a case manager. So I'm like, this is easy. I got this. And then I started thinking like, well, this is not going to be educational for me. Like, I'm just going to be summarizing what I, what I do for my job. Um, so I did problem resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, so just, you know, looking into, the barriers or the, some of the the things that are keeping the client from, you know, moving forward and achieving the, the next step and working with them on that. And it was like so 
interesting. Like it was, uh, it helped me a lot. And then I was able to utilize that intervention with my, with my clients. So it was, um, like you mentioned, it was a, a learning experience and I could have easily gone with the easy way. Yeah, but I decided to like push myself and do another intervention that I was not so comfortable with at the moment, but I learned so much about, and it turned out to be a great, a great paper that I was proud of showing everyone. Yeah, Yeah. do it. It's worth it. Now you've Mm -hmm. got two votes of confidence, Mm -hmm. pick an interesting client, pick an interesting intervention, and you're going to have a much better semester than if you're like, exactly like Imelda said, well, I'll write about case management because I do it every day or CBT because I do it every day. And I'll pick one of my run-of-the-mill, moderately depressed people because easy enough, right? No, hard stuff, good stuff. Become a better social worker. Uh, Kind of, you know, as we're talking about papers, one of the things that you do a lot for the first time for a lot of people are going to be write long papers in grad school. So you probably maybe have gotten some sort of introduction to this, maybe in undergrad. Undergrad is a lot of uh, summarizing and kind of synthesizing information. Really in grad school, we want to see that critical thinking come up. So third tip is going to be to really focus your papers around critical thinking. So instead of just kind of regurgitating or summarize things, you really need to start presenting that critical thinking. So asking yourself and then answering questions like, how is this relevant to your client or a problem, right? If you're being taught about a theory, what kind of clients would this be relevant to? What kind of problems or grand challenges of social work is this related Mm -hmm. to? Why would you use this approach over another one? Why is this intervention better than another intervention? Why is this important, right? So it's not just, oh, well, I'm talking about CBT. Well, why CBT instead of DBT? Why CBT instead of EMDR? Why CBT for veterans? You know, why CBT for LGBTQ youth, Mm -hmm. right? Use and apply that critical thinking. So really, when would you use it? Who is it for? Who isn't it appropriate for? And then how is this similar or different to another approach theory or solution? Those kind of get easier as you continue through your social work education, especially if you have a BSW under your belt and you learn some of those theories in undergrad. They might be a little bit easier to pull from right away. But as you get into the second year of your MSW, really good to start leaning on those things that you learned prior. Or maybe if you're someone who has a little bit of field experience um, but maybe you don't know quite as much mm-hmm. about the theories or other options at this point. You know, how does it apply in real life? How did this make you feel? Is this information shocking? Does it make you uncomfortable? Do you look back at a case and you're like, gosh, I wish I knew this back then, or this makes this, you know, former client makes so much sense. You know, oh, I suddenly understand my sister much better, right? Like that's a better application yes. of the concept than you like copy and pasting out of the textbook. Definitely. Something I love reading when I'm reviewing papers from students is them saying this new information or this article, this video, whatever we're reviewing, challenge my views in this way mm-hmm. uh, because it it tells me that you are applying what you're learning, what you're seeing and reading to your personal life. And you're also being more aware of your own bias and your own experiences and how the way that, you know, you were brought up um mold you into thinking the way you do and how like this new information is helping you better understand your clients. And so, so even though, um, 
we might want to just go the easy way and be like, oh, yes, this information was uh, was great. I learned a lot and I feel like I can apply this to my social work career or, you know, the clients that I work with. But dig a little bit deeper, um, you know, use that critical thinking of analyzing your own personal experiences and bias and how you're absorbing this new information to challenge your views or support your views. So just go a little bit uh, a deeper later into into your understanding and your processing of information. And that will go a long way and that will tell professors that you're actually taking the time to, to analyze the information the way you're supposed to. Exactly. You really want to make the learning real for you. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, a lot of people, especially if you've been in the field or you work jobs, right, you often do stuff that's for your boss, right? Like you're creating a product, you are creating something that's going to be utilized in another way, or there's a certain way you're supposed to do it, but it's for someone else. Your education is for you. If you do great on this paper as a professor, that does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. And it honestly doesn't do much for the university, right? You are paying tuition to get education for yourself so that you are a better social worker. Mm-hmm. So the more you apply that critical thinking and make the learning real for you, the more it's going to help you remember it and apply it when you actually get out into the field. You're not going to regurgitate a textbook in real life. You're not going to be able to get that quote out of your brain perfectly for a client, but you are going to remember how that information made you you feel Mm -hmm. so that you can make another client feel that same way or apply that same lens to it. So, you know, there's no kind of neat vignettes in real life. So don't feel like you have to jam your learning and your papers and your analysis into those boxes. Again, this is your education. It's supposed to make sense for and applied to you and really you alone. All right. So tip number four is going to be feedback and using it well. So feedback is really hard for people. And I'm someone who has struggled for a long time with receiving it. But I can basically promise you that your professor doesn't want you to fail. Honestly, it's a lot more paperwork and time for us if you're not doing well. But giving feedback takes time and often bravery. Mm -hmm. And if someone is bringing it to your attention, it's not for nothing. It is with the sole intention of either helping you improve on the task or improve as a person, even if it hurts to hear at the time. A lot of students get hung up on grades and want to argue with, you know, one point here or there. And again, giving everyone a perfect grade and not trying to show you ways to be a better social worker in the field would, again, be easier for your professor, right? Give everybody 100. Mm -hmm. Don't teach them anything. But... (laughs) We're giving you this feedback as a gift, and that gift is really expensive. It costs a lot of time. It costs a lot of effort, so it should be treated as one. So really don't look at the marks on your paper and your rubric, and a lot of people want to react instead of respond, right? We've been insulted. Our work isn't perfect. I'm not good enough. No, this is unfair, right? I don't like that. I want my grade change. Nobody in real life is going to ask for your GPA. Mm -mm. Nobody cares what your grades were in grad school, but they do want and need you to have mastered the concepts you've been taught in school. And that's what that feedback is intending to do, to help you grow and change and learn and apply that concept. You know, a B in a class where you learn and grew is way better than an A where you didn't master concepts or grow or change in any way. And I know it doesn't feel like that when you're in school, right? We've been brought it from as early as kindergarten to care about grades and positive mm-hmm. marks. And so by the time you get all the way up through college, it's been instilled in you for years. But again, thinking about real life, 
I don't care if you got an A in your diagnosis class. I don't. It doesn't mean anything to me. I care if you know how to diagnose and document it. Mm -hmm. I would have rather you, you got a C or D in grad school and been like, yeah, I screwed it up over and over, but I took the feedback. I learned from it and now I'm awesome at it, right? Those assignments don't matter. Mm -hmm. Can you actually execute the skill? And again, your professor isn't giving you feedback just to do it or because they hate you. They want you to be good at this stuff. So, you know, if you argue with your appointment or your teacher on every assignment to get an A or to get your points back, you probably miss the whole point of the feedback they were trying to give. Yeah. And most likely the the feedback it's going to continue once you go into your professional mm -hmm. job um your supervisor your colleagues um people around you are going to give you feedback on you know do's and don'ts so getting used to that constructive feedback um and being just being able to take it without getting defensive and and learning from it um it's a it's a skill that you're going to utilize throughout your whole profession and this takes us to Tip number five, building bridges and networking. So I feel like I sound like a broken record and how often I share the importance of networking, but I speak from experience that networking and building a solid community of professionals around you is one of the best things you could do for your career. Uh, most of the best jobs and I've had in, uh, in projects that I've been part of have been um, thanks to the people I have formed good working relationships with uh, just by people referring me to new opportunities because they, they, they know my work ethic, they know what I do, what I'm good at. Um, and I have always made it a priority to never leave a job or an internship placement in bad terms. Even if it, this is a position that you don't enjoy, that you are having issues with, always, always, always try your best to leave in good terms. Um, and don't leave things hanging for someone else to complete. Um, one of the, I'm very proud of that feedback that I received one time, uh, a couple of times actually in two different jobs that I have, um, that I have left is that my supervisor on my extra interview said no, before you, like nobody had ever left all your cases completely finished. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like all your documentation finished, everything up to date, everything uh, organized in the, you know, in, in the same place. And I was like, well, shouldn't this be the standard? Like it's when you ethics. leave, yeah. When you leave a job, like you don't leave, it's continuation of care. And you're making sure that the client knows who is taking over the case and, and you don't leave things hanging for the next person who takes over that, that, that project or that client or that patient. And this, this goes a long way. And once you request back, uh, you know, references, or you put your previous employers as references, you want to make sure that they give a good review on you and that you make a good impression. And believe it or not, the social work and social services field is pretty small. And throughout your career, you will run into some of the same people you either work with, intern with, or you went to school with. Um, so always make sure that you have a positive and professional impression on people. Um, that's, this will, like I said, will make it easier for you to request letters of recommendation for future jobs and opportunities. And also, how um I know it's hard at school sometimes with with group projects um and you know just differences in opinions and workloads and group projects as well um you know like those tensions come up between your classmates uh, but I I have applied for jobs where some of the people that I went to school with were already working there. Even they were not necessarily the, the one making the decision to hire me, but they were working at the agency and 
believe it or not, they will have a say. If you don't like someone that is applying for your position that you know they're applying for your agency, you will let someone know like, hey, I worked with this person before and this was my experience. So FYI, you know, throughout the interview process. So always make sure that you have, you know, good interactions and in, in, in leaving good terms um, with people at your internships, at your jobs and also at school as well during your program. Having positive relationships with your professors and classmates is a great way to start building your network. Do your part in group projects and attend school networking events when possible if your school offers any of those. Um, your network of social work colleagues will be your best tool when you are in the field. They will be your go-to group when you need to explore ideas or check on resources and always leave a good impression with them. Um, they're most likely going to share your name when opportunities come up when you're not in the room. So you want to make sure that people speak well of you. If you want to dive in more into the power of relationships, I recommend one of my favorite books is called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrasi. Um, this book is considered the best-selling business classing on the power of relationships. And it's also updated on the in-depth uh, advice on making connections in the digital world um, because social media, we, we want it or not, it's important. And when you, what you post and what you put out there in the social and digital world, it comes back to you eventually. So I know we already did an episode on social workers and social media, do's and don'ts, but this is also it's never extra to be reminded um, that all your behavior, both in person and online, it's always going to be noticed. So hopefully what we have presented here today is helpful and as always take what you need and what you feel is relevant and leave what you don't. Each MSW program is different and if you have any suggestions or tips for social work students, please share with us on Instagram under the comment section of this episode. Um, remember to follow us on Instagram at Social Workers Break Group and we'll see you next time.